If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn with me now to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We finally turn the page on what's called the Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books of Moses, the law. And now we turn the page to Joshua to see how is Israel going to respond to having the law of God. We'll read the first nine verses together in Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray to the Lord together now. Heavenly Father, our minds this morning and so much of our singing have went to that day when we will stand before you. That day in which the trumpet sounds and Christ returns and the church is gathered from all the four corners of the earth to come and to stand before you to receive our judgment. And God, we stand there as faulty men and women. God, in your presence we should be vanquished, we should be crushed, we should be annihilated, decimated, condemned forever. But Lord, as we sang this morning... For those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who rest our hope on the cross and the resurrection of the risen Jesus, we stand before your your throne faultless, faultless, not even neutral. You didn't just wipe away our debt, oh Lord. No, you didn't make us neutral. You made us good. You credited us with the very righteousness of Jesus that the judgment that we might receive might be well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray for my people today. I pray that you would astonish them with that reality all over again. I pray that you would would take their breath away with your goodness and your greatness and your glory all over again. I pray this morning that you would call us to a courageous faith, to live as a courageous church, that, Lord, we might pursue your glory by your power and through your presence alone, not our own strength, not our own wisdom, not our own winsomeness, your power, your strength for your glory. God, open our minds now. 
Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Do you ever remember that feeling? Some of you, this has been pretty new. Some of you, it's, it's maybe been, I don't know, a few decades. But do you remember that feeling when you've had this new baby brought into your house and the baby is just relentless in all of its needs, right? And so you have inevitably a point in time in which you're hungry and you're tired and you really just want to look after yourself. But even though you're hungry and you're tired and you're at the end of your rope, man, the baby is still screaming. The baby is still not sleeping. The baby is hungry. The house is a wreck. The yard is a wreck. Your, your Walmart pickup is just fixing to expire. Right? And so you, you look at the screaming creature and you're like, why do I love you so much? Honestly, it's the stuff that panic attacks is made of, right? It's in jobs like that. When, when you're suddenly thrust into new responsibility, that you become acutely aware of how weak you really are. That you become acutely aware of how selfish you are. I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. And then I never knew how selfish I was until I had a kid. Right? Like, it, it, these layers of selfishness just un, un, uh, peel off over time. Maybe it's when uh, you became more suddenly promoted from the backup quarterback to the starting quarterback of the team. And now everybody's looking at you and you suddenly remember that, that now I can't just goof off on the sidelines anymore. There's a, there's a lot of people that are depending on me and I've got to get the throws right. I've got to get the plays right. I, I've got to execute. I've got to keep everybody together on the same play. Maybe you've gotten promoted at work before and you... you all of a sudden find yourself going from an associate to being a manager and people are looking to you for the answers and you've all of these new responsibilities and you you find yourself feeling overwhelmed on the edge of a panic attack you go through these seasons in your life and it's like you wake up and you have an instant a shot of adrenaline and then you go to bed and you're, you, you still have adrenaline kind of coursing through your veins even though you ought to be able to rest you really can't you ever been in a situation like that? If you've ever been and, and found yourself certainly taking on responsibilities that have made you acutely aware of your own weaknesses and of your own insufficiencies and of your own selfishness, you can perfectly relate to where Joshua is. You know, they say that you don't want to follow the man, right? They say that you want to follow the man who followed the man. If you, if you have to follow the man that everybody's always comparing you to him and, and you, uh, you're never going to measure up and you're, you're always going to come up short and everybody's always going to be questioning you. Joshua is following Moses, y'all. Moses. Like, good luck finding a, a hard, harder shoes to fill in all of human history than following the shoes of Moses. The guy raised up his staff and parted the Red Sea. And here's Joshua supposed to step in and, and lead in his stead. All of, the, all of Israel and the book of Joshua are right on the banks of the Jordan. 
Now remember, 40 years earlier, they, were, they had come to the edge of the promised land and they had reneged. And then they tried to go in on their own strength and they were, they were slaughtered. But here they are, one more time, 40 years later, they're standing on the banks of the Jordan and they're staring at the far banks and everybody is waiting for Joshua to give the word. Can you imagine the pressure of that? That he's about to lead them into battle, lead them into war. Lead them into conquest. He's about to lead them across yet another body of water. This time not escaping. This time receiving. This time to enter. And everybody's wondering. When is Joshua going to say? You see, it's when you're staring at the far banks of the Jordan River that you learn the trustworthiness of God. It's when you become acutely aware of your own weakness Acutely aware of your own selfishness, acutely aware of your own insufficiency, staring at the task that God has placed before you, staring at the responsibilities that God has stared before you. That's when you become acutely aware, I need the Lord, I need the trustworthiness of the Lord, I need the strength of the Lord, I need the presence of the Lord, I need the power of the Lord. Because if I don't have his presence and I don't have his strength and I don't have his power, I am going to fail miserably. And not only am I I going to fail? I'm going to take all of my little ones with me. I'm going to take all of my teammates with me. I'm going to take all of my co-workers with me. I'm going to take all of my church with me. I'm going to take all of Israel in Joshua's case with me. And so what we have, particularly in verses 5 through 9, is we have God commissioning Joshua to take over for Moses. He's commissioning Joshua to take over for Moses that he would be able to go and to do the task that God has set before him. And so you can can hear in what God is saying to Joshua and you can understand exactly why he's saying it. And in these charges for all of us who God is calling us forward, and by the way, that's every one of us. God is calling all of us forward into his will. He's calling all of us forward into obedience. He's calling all of us forward into new frontiers of his glory and of his plan and of his providence. These same charges apply. And so, so there, what we're going to see is there's a chief charge, there's a chief charge that leads to two implications. There's a chief charge that leads to two implications. The chief charge is that you should be courageous. Be courageous. So, so you, you're imagining how nervous Joshua is. And, and y'all, Joshua's not a young guy, okay? This isn't a, tw- I think sometimes we have in our minds Joshua being young just because he was younger than Moses, but he's been with Moses forever, okay? He was already a, a grown man, a leader among his peoples, one of the spies that goes and spies out Canaan 40 years earlier than this. And so Joshua's probably very close to 100 years old at this point in his life. But, but he's, he's, he's struggling with insecurity, He's struggling with lack of assurance. He's struggling with, with the need to be affirmed, the need, the need to be reminded, the, the, the gargantuan task that's been set before him. And so what does God say? He says it three times. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall call this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. That's verse 6. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
Verse 9, at the end, kind of the conclusion of this charge that he gives, what does he do? He comes back to it again. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, so you can sense that, that God sees in Joshua a need to be held up, a need to be pushed forward, a need to be, have his faith buttressed and strengthened by him. And all of us have probably been in a place that's very similar. Now, what have we said over the course of our talking through the first five books of the Bible? What have we said about when Hebrew repeats something, right? It's emphasizing it. It's, it's driving it home that there's not punctuation. I read, a, a, there was an African-American preacher that I read this week. I read a sermon on this text. And he said, he said it this way. He said, God doesn't have a speech impediment. He repeats himself on purpose. He repeats himself on purpose. That's good, man. That's good. God is repeating himself because he needs to emphasize this. This is the main message that Joshua needs. And you know what? I guarantee you. I guarantee you it's a main message that we need this morning. I don't have to tell you. You already know. There is a shortage on courage in our day. There is a shortage on valor in our day. That, that what we have, what we're seeing increasingly so as the generations pass on from one to the next is a lack of willingness to do hard things. A lack of willingness to, to follow through on painful paths of obedience. A, a lack of, of willingness to, to accept and to receive responsibility. We want to avoid responsibility because it's easier. It's more convenient. So the charge that, that God is giving to Joshua is relevant to you because there's not a single one of you that God is calling to remain where you are. There's not a single one of you that God is, is saying, just be content and stand pat for the rest of your life and coast for a while. No, God is calling all of us to accept new responsibilities. God is calling all of us to new obediences. God is calling all of us to fresh steps down the path of providence. And so he repeats himself three times. Now, what we're going to see is that both this primary chief charge along with the two implications that come from it are, are tethered to a series of promises. In fact, in verses 5 and 6, you'll find that there are three different promises that God gives to Joshua that kind of upholds this charge that he's given to him to be courageous, to, to have courage, to, to not be afraid, and to press on in obedience to where the Lord is calling. Look, listen to what it says. All right, so we'll look at I think the way that I want, we should see it is that these first two promises go together the way that, that means and ends go together. So verse 5 says this, no man shall be able to stand before you. All right, so there's promise one, right? No man is, being, is going to stand before you. Now, why would God say this specifically to Joshua? D Joshua is about to lead his people against nations that outnumber him and outmatch him. He is going to be outmatched and outnumbered in virtually every battle that he's to come against. He's going to be going up against fortified cities as a, with a group of ragtag children that grew up in the middle of the wilderness. All right, He does not have a well-trained military. This is not the Roman cohort coming, the Roman legion showing up to, to storm and siege, lay siege to a city. This is a group of, of former slaves, primarily the children of former slaves, who grew up barely knowing what to do from morning to morning, receiving their bread from heaven, all right? These are, these are not hardened soldiers. And he's going to be outnumbered, he's going to be outmatched, he's going to be going against fortified cities. But God says, 
in light of all of that. As you look out and you see the fortresses that lay ahead of you, what I want you to know, what I'm going to make a promise to you right now, is regardless of how outnumbered you are, regardless of how overmatched you are, no man will stand before you. Not a single city that you come against will stand because, because, because that gets us to promise too. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There's promise too, right? Now, I think the way that we should see is that this is the means. And this is the ends. This is the end. In other words, in other words... How is it that he's going to be able to go up against these cities that so outnumber him, that so overmatch him? How is he going to be able to go and fight against these places that are so, so fortified and, and, and are places of refuge for their people? Well, he's going to be able to go up against them because God's going to go before him. Because God's going to go before him. But because he's not going to be by himself. Because he's not, they're not even going to be the ones fighting the battles. Because they're not the ones that have to crush the walls of the cities. Because they're not the ones that have to, have to go and to win these, win these battles and overcome all of these enemies. God is going to do that. God is going to supply them. God is going to strengthen them. God is going to encourage them. They're going to have the presence of God every step of the way. So God can say, I promise you already. I can say this without hesitation. Not a single nation will stand before you. Not a single people will stand before you. Not a single city will stand before you. Why? Why? Because I'm going to go with you, and just as surely I'm telling you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, regardless of what you have to endure. You see, if Joshua is alone, if Joshua is alone, he is right to worry. If Joshua is alone, he is right to worry. It's the only rational thing to do. If you are alone in your mothering, if you are alone in your career, if you are alone in providing for your family, if you, if you are alone in raising your children, if you are alone trying to help your family navigate the, the madness that is our day and age, you should worry. You should be afraid. If you have already determined in your heart that you're going to do it by the things that you know and the, the strength that you have and the wisdom that you possess and the, the energy of your, own, of your own personality, if you have already determined that you're going to live your life by what makes sense and by what looks right in the moment, if you've already determined that you're going to raise your kids by the things that you know and the things that you've seen, then that alone, you ought to be worried because you can't do it. There was no, Joshua had no chance under his own wisdom, under his own strength, going his own way. He had no chance. But, 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 if you live resolved, resolved, that I am going to live by God's strength and not my own. I'm going to live by God's wisdom and not my own. I'm going to go and take my family God's way and not the way that always seems right to me. Well, there's peace that comes with that, isn't there? There's assurance that comes with that, isn't there? Another way to say it is that there's courage. There's courage that comes with that. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart is new parents today are terrified of everything. New mothers are terrified of everything. And we have, because we have so much information, and I think mothers have always been terrified. It just comes with the territory of bringing these little aliens into your house and somebody telling you that they're all on you, right? Like, it's just, it's terrifying. 
But now there's so much information, and, and you have to live a life that's so public that everybody else has to uh, get to see and be spectators on social media and all the different places that you go, right? That you're so terrified you're going to make a step. And then you look out at all the craziness, and I feel this as a dad. I'm like, my goodness gracious, I can't even watch House Hunters without my kids being assaulted with the homosexual agenda, right? Like, like I can't, I can't what, what, where do we go? What do we do? My, my little girl loves JoJo Siwa. Like, loved Jojo Siwa. And we, she had the bows, and she had the, the Jojo Siwa calendar, and it was just a little eight-year-old girl liking to watch this girl that she watches on the, on the Disney Channel. And then I find out a few about a month ago, she comes out publicly as being a lesbian and is promoting this among children as a 17-year-old. And I have an eight-year-old now that I have to have that conversation with, right? And so it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Do you know where where the courage comes from? It doesn't come from within. A biblical definition of courage to raise our children, a biblical definition of courage to live our lives, to navigate our families, to to be married to one another with with joy, it, it doesn't come from within. A biblical definition of courage is not inner resolve. It's not inner strength. It's not tapping something that, that I find within me somewhere. A biblical definition of courage is a response to the realization that Almighty God is with me and for me. It's, it's not about how I feel. Courage never feels like courage. I think a lot of us, we're waiting to do hard things until all of a sudden we have this, this feeling of unction within us, this, this feeling of, of, str- of inner strength within us, but we're always shaken and we're always, we're always anxious and we're always worried. That's not what it means to live by courage in the Bible. To live by courage is even though I'm trembling and even though I'm shaking and even though I'm afraid and even though everything in me wants to back down and even though naturally I'm quite timid, I'm going to press forward. I'm going to march toward the walls of Jericho because I have come to the realization that Almighty God is going before me. That Almighty God is with me and will never leave me or forsake me. That Almighty God has already promised that all of the struggles that I face and all the hardships that I face and all of the sins that I myself commit, that He is going to leverage all of those things together by His sovereign and providential hand so that even those things work together for my good. That the courage, courage in the Bible is a synonym for faith. It's a synonym for faith. It's not about what I find within me. It's what I find in him. It's not about digging down deep. It's about leaning into the arms that are of one who is far greater and far stronger and far more able than me. And that brings us to the third promise that we see here in verses 5 and 6. He says in verse 6 is where we get the charge, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. There's promise three. You shall cause this people to inherit the land. Now there's two words there that I think is pretty interesting. There's actually three words here that I think is, are pretty interesting. First of all, he tells Joshua, you shall cause. Now this is talking specifically of Joshua, that Joshua is going to be a cause of them receiving the promised land, of getting the things that are supposed to be theirs. Now, this is, This puts a lot of weight on Joshua's shoulders, doesn't it? 
This puts a lot of responsibility on Joshua's shoulders. This is not unlike God telling you that husbands, you ought to love your husbands the way that Christ loves the church. Women, wives, you ought to respect and submit to your husbands. It's putting responsibility on you. It's not unlike when he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Train them and raise them up in the Lord that they will, when they're old, they will not depart from it. It's putting responsibility on you. And sometimes I think we read those verses and we're instantly overwhelmed. But it's a charge that's given, it's a responsibility that's given to Joshua, but it's not given to Joshua alone. Listen, listen to what else it says. For you are going to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, what do inherit and give have in common? Now, this is talking about God, right? So this is taking responsibility away from uh, Joshua, and now it's talking about, this is God talking about himself. I'm going to let you inherit this. I'm going to give this to you. Well, those things have, you know what those things have in common? You don't do anything to inherit. You don't do anything to get a gift. So, 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 so it's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? On one hand, he says, Joshua, you have the responsibility to go and to, uh, make, to, to, to receive this land, to, to go and to, I'm, you're going to be the, the cause of your people to get this land. But on the other hand, I'm going to let you inherit it. You're, I'm going I'm to give it to you. It's going to be a gift from me to you. It's going to be the inheritance that I promised to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So, so you really don't have to do anything for it. I, you're just going to inherit it. Now, how do we bring those two thoughts together? I think this is, I think this is really helpful. Here's what he's saying. That you're going to receive the promised land by God's power, by God's presence, in fulfillment of God's promise. But you're going to see the fulfillment of God's promise through your faith. Through your faith to go where God is sending you. Through your faith to obey as God calls for you to obey. For your faith to say, I can trust God, and wherever God sends me, there I'll go. Wherever God tells me to do, that I'll do. And because of your faith in me, you're going to cross over this Jordan, and you're going to go, and you're going to march around Jericho, and you watch what happens to those walls, because I am giving you the land. You are going to inherit the land. It's no different for you mom and dad, husband, wife, man, woman, struggling with your life. It's no different. God is calling you forward, and you're trembling, and you're timid, and you're nervous, but he's saying, I am going to give it to you. You just show faith in me. Live by faith in me. Obey by faith in me. This isn't about you. This isn't about how strong or, or, or able you are. Now, why isn't, why isn't Israel already in the promised land? Why isn't Israel already in the promised land? Israel's not, they were supposed to be in the promised land 40 years ago. We've talked about that. The reason they're not in the promised land is that they all always looked at what they had and reconciled that what they had was better than what God was going to give to them. That it was safer than what God was going to give to them. That it was, that it was more dependable than what God was going to give to them. And so they would say things like, I would rather just stay in Egypt if it was up to me. If it was up to me, we would just stay here in the wilderness where we're at least getting the bread of heaven, where at least we can watch our children grow up, where at least we don't have to go and fight battles and go off to war and deal with all this mess. At least here, there's the known. Over there is the unknown. And so you know what the book of Joshua is? The book of Joshua is a reminder. It's a reminder of what you don't receive, of what you don't receive when you refuse to live by faith. You see, courage is the difference between the life that you have and the life you're intended to have. 
Courage is the difference between the life that you have and the life that you intended, you're intended to have. If we use courage and faith synonymously, which I believe is what Joshua is teaching us to do, then we can say that faith is the difference between the life that you have and the life that God intends for you to have. Do you know why some, perhaps of you, perhaps of your children, perhaps of your grandchildren have not come to faith in Christ? Why you haven't yet been baptized, why you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus? It's because you look at the life that you have and you deem that what you have is better than what God can give to you. You you deem that what you have is more reliable than what God can give to you. You believe that what you have is a greater source of pleasure and of of happiness and of fun and of, of freedom than the freedom and the joy and the peace that God offers to you. Because one you can see and the other that you can't see. And so you reconcile it in your mind and think, I'll just stay where I am. I'd rather just stay in bondage in Egypt than go and try to walk across the Red Sea and see what God has for me. I would rather stay here in the wilderness and eat the bread that God has given than go in and experience the bounty of the promised land that he has set before me. And so I'm going to stand pat right here because I am satisfied and I am content where I am. You know why people don't adopt? That God's calling to adopt? I know God's not calling all of you to to adopt, but I bet he's calling some of you to adopt. Calling some of you to foster care, to respite care. You know why? You can sense in you a longing to do it. You can sense in you an inclination to do it. But you look at your kids now, you look at your grandkids now, you look at your life now, and you're just good with it. And your concern is, your concern is, is that if, if I bring a new child into my home, it's going to disrupt what I have already. And what I have already, I already reconcile, is safer than what I might have down the road. And you're right, it is safer, man. It is safer, but it isn't better. Safer is not better in the Bible. The reason that we don't give generously, the reason that we don't live dangerously, the reason that we don't obey radically, the reason that we, we are always uh, timid when it comes to, to putting our name on the sign-up sheet for the mission trip, the reason that we're always uh, tempted to, to shirk the responsibility and not step up to the new ministry that God is calling us to, the reason that we haven't yet, you haven't yet started that Bible study at work that's been on your mind for the last two or three years is all the same. Your life is safer right now. Your life makes sense right now. And your concern is, your concern is, is that it's going to bring a disruption that's not going to be better. But that in fact is going to be much harder. That is, that is, that you have settled for the life that you have and you are missing the life that God intends for you to have. You are living by fear and not by faith. You are living by your own strength, not the courage that comes with the awareness that Almighty God is with you and He will not leave you and He will not forsake you. He will take you everywhere that He would have for you to be. And this, brothers and sisters, is the reason, this is the reason why our experiences with God are so shallow. 
This is the reason that, that our joy in Christ is so cheap. This is the reason why we haven't seen great movements of God and great supplies of God in our lives. It's because we have been ruled by fear and we have ceased to live by faith and by courage to press on into what God has called us to do. What life do you want to live? That's what this boils down to. What life do you want to live? Do you want to live the life that is safe? Do you want to live the life as you have it, as you know it, with whatever it looks like and whatever it is? Or in your bones, deep inside of you, is there something calling you forward to live the life that God intends for you to live? The life that God intends for you to live. See, I've been around people enough to know, and some of you, some of you could come up here and testify to this. Nobody ever regrets going God's way. Nobody ever regrets going God's way. That courage founded upon the faithfulness of God is courage that is always well-founded and well-rooted. I have never taught, as hard as adoption is, and I do not want to overly romanticize, it's hard. I've walked with these families. I've prayed with these families on dark nights when they're crying and at the end of themselves. Like, it's hard. But let me tell you, I've never heard one of them say, I wish we hadn't done this. Over and again, they talk about what it's added to their life, not how it's ruined their lives. I've never heard someone who was, who was living a life and they were being able to indulge themselves as much and freely as they wanted to in the world and had everything that the world said that they could have, and yet they, they come and they, they surrender to Jesus and repented of their sin and placed their hope in Jesus and began to follow after Jesus. I've never heard one of them say, I would rather have the world than what I right now have in Christ. Not one of them. I've never heard someone that surrendered to the ministry as as crazy as it seemed it seemed in the time I have never heard one of them come and say I wish I had not surrendered to what the Lord has called me to do if you go this morning you go this morning and you ask one of the people in our church that have been on there's probably 200 people in the life of our church that have been on a mission trip over the last two or three years go and ask them if it was a waste of their money and their vacation leave and you know what all of them are going to tell you at least in my experience maybe you'll find an outlier all of them are going to tell you I'm going to I plan to do it again I plan to go again. It changed my life. I saw what I didn't know I could see. I experienced what I didn't know I could experience. God worked in ways that I didn't know I could work. I was afraid to talk too. I was afraid to go too. I thought it was expensive too. I didn't know how God was going to supply the funds. I didn't know how God was going to provide for me to be able to go. But God did all of it. And let me tell you how he worked in my life. This morning. This morning I want to leave you with a simple question. A simple question. What life do you want to live? What life do you want to live? What life do you want to experience? What life, what legacy do you want to pass on to the generation that's coming up behind you? What legacy do you want to pass on to your adult children? What reputation do you want to pass down to the, the little ones that are under your roof right now? Have courage. Have courage. Take hold of the life that God intends for you. Let's pray to the Lord together.
this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon. 